Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Uh, Luke 14. Danny started it last week, where we saw about a healing and uh, how Jesus starts to say we shouldn't be vying for seats of power or seats of honor. And then he uh, tells them this parable, Luke 14. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He probably had Isaiah 25 in mind. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my great banquet, of my banquet. Father, thank you for your word that is living and active. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for this parable about the kingdom of God and being invited and, uh, and our call as a church to then live, accept the invitation and then pass on the invitation. And so help us today as Tim speaks to uh, apply this message to our own lives and receive it and then receive it so we can pass it on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Steve. Um, <clears throat> yeah, my name is uh, Tim, member here at Christ City Church. Um, so Luke chapter 14 is all about Jesus having a meal at the house of a prominent Pharisee. It starts with a controversial healing. Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and he exposes the religious leader's hypocrisy. It continues with Jesus demonstrating the upside-down kingdom of God, uh, which will honor the lowly, the forgotten, the undesirables, and not the proud, self-righteous religious leaders of the day. The chapter ends with a closing parable, the parable of the great banquet, and this is going to be our focus today. Um, Some of you know me, know that I'm a youth worker, and I work intensively with different youth to help support them in their various home placements. I was on holiday a couple weeks ago, and I got a text from work, which is very unusual. You know, if you're on holiday, that's generally uh, respected. And they asked me uh, to get in touch. And I got in touch with work and had a conversation with my line manager. And she explained that tragically, the mother of one of the young people I work with had died suddenly. So I cut my holiday short. I supported the child that week and attended the funeral. We've then put in lots of different extra supports for this whole family. And last week, we took the entire family, so the father and the five kids, away for a night away to provide respite for what has been a very tragic and stressful time. We sat down, me and my colleague, with this family for the evening meal. And it was fascinating to see the family dynamics at play. 
the youngest uh, six-year-old boy ran wildly around the table. Um, the 15-year-old daughter took on the mantle of the mother, scolding the youngest and grabbing him in. <laughs> the exhausted father paid lip service to whatever <laughs> the daughter was saying. The middle child couldn't believe his luck and took the opportunity amongst the chaos to fill his plate with chicken wings and his glass twice with pure orange juice. The family re meal revealed so much. It showed the different roles and status of everyone involved in that family. And this parable of a great banquet, a meal, demonstrates four fascinating aspects about the kingdom of God. Number one, it's full of surprises. Those would you, you would expect to be there won't, and those you never thought would attend will. Number two, people think up of useless, worthless excuses why they can't attend this banquet. Number three, it's messy. Every type of person is involved, loud, brash, shy, passionate. Every race, language, background is represented. It's messy. And number four, it's not yet full. There is still room for others to join. So let's take a closer look at this parable. As we've heard from the passage, a man is holding a great banquet. He sends out many invites. At the time the banquet was ready, he sends his servant to tell the guests, it is now time to come and enjoy the banquet feast. But the servant is met with a raft of excuses. The first guest states that he can no longer attend as he has just bought a field and needs to inspect it. And I guess coming at it from Western eyes and your own background, at first glance, this may seem a legi legitimate excuse. But in the culture at the time, the process to buy land could take months, even years. The land, the soil is very poor in the Middle East, and you needed to know, did it drain? Did it face the winter sun? Was it suitable for the crops and all this sort of stuff, okay? No one, no one would ever buy a field without it being properly and studiously inspected. You just wouldn't. Imagine today if someone <laughs> refused your invitation at the last moment, stating, sorry, I just bought a house over the phone. I need to go and inspect it. That's outrageous. That's ludicrous. We spend so much on legal fees and surveying and all that sort of stuff to see a house. You would see right through that. That clearly isn't true. It's a lame excuse. Same with this first excuse that the, the, the guest gives uh, about the field. It's outrageous, lame, and clearly not a valid excuse. The second excuse is no better. The second guest states that he must go and inspect his newly bought five yoke or pairs of oxen. And please excuse him. Again, this is a worthless excuse. Pair of oxen, a pair of oxen must be perfectly in sync. They must till the land at the same pace or they are completely useless. You would never buy them without knowing this. Um, I once got my brother a pair of slippers as his Christmas gift from TK Maxx. And as you know, TK Maxx can be a bit chaotic. Didn't think that much of it. When he opened them up Christmas Day, he discovered <laughs> that I'd managed to buy him two left slippers. <laughs> but imagine a guest today said to you, I cannot come to your party. I just bought a new pair of shoes and I have to ensure I got both left and right. It's so insulting, so obviously not a valid excuse because no one will make the same mistake as me. It's the same with the oxen. You need the, both of them 
together like a pair of shoes to work. You would never uh, need to inspect them after you bought them. It would be so obvious whether the oxen worked or not. This third excuse is actually the most insulting of all. In a culture where it was taboo to discuss women and sex, it was humiliating and insulting to the host to refuse to come to the party because of a recent marriage. The feast would never have overlapped with the wedding celebrations. And to top it off, the third guest does not even ask to be excused like the first two, but rather just states that they will not be attending. All three excuses are insulting, humiliating, and worthless. The servant returns to the master and tells him about the excuses. The master burns with anger. But then his anger turns to grace, and he gives the servant a new instruction. He says, go out and ask the lame, the crippled, the blind to partake in this banquet. The servant returns and explains that this order has been carried out and that there is still room. The master instructs the servant to go out and fill the banquet, go into the highways and the outskirts, fill the banquet with the most unlikely guests. And the parable ends with the master stating that none of the original, uh, none of the originally invited will taste the banquet, his banquet. Jesus tells this parable in response to one of the guests at the meal who assumed their Jewish heritage alone was enough. By merely being Jewish, they would be at God's glorious banquet. However, this parable very clearly demonstrates that that is not the case. The original invitees, the religious Jews, have missed their invitation. They have chosen not to partake in God's glorious banquet. And for some of us here today, this may also be the case. You might think, I go to church, you believe in God, maybe you feel that your heritage isn't enough to secure your place at God's banquet, that your good morals, that you're a good person, and God will recognize that, just like these leaders did back then. But this parable is a warning to you then. You must accept the invitation. Number one, this banquet demonstrates that it is full of surprises. Those you expect to be there won't and those you didn't will. Number two, the banquet is not to be missed. No excuse is worthwhile. The field, the oxen, the marriage, all of these excuses insulted and demonstrated their rejection of the host, of God. Maybe for us, our excuse to not accept God's invitation to his glorious banquet is our career our status, our relationships, money. It doesn't matter. None of these are worth missing out on this invitation. They are all worthless compared to being part of God's glorious banquet. Our third point, it's messy. God's banquet is messy. It's filled with sinful people who have messed up, will continue to mess up, but have crucially accepted God's invitation to feast at his banquet. God's banquet is filled with people not like you. They speak different, they look different, they smell different. It's loud, it's messy, it's chaotic. It's populated by those the world doesn't value. And it's glorious. Because only here is true community found in God's banquet. Lastly, the banquet is not yet full. 
Jesus was scandalous because he ate with sinners. He ate with the tax collectors, the most hated people in Jewish society at the time. He ate with the prostitutes. Um, and so that's scandalous when a religious leader does that, when anyone does that. Because by sharing a meal with someone, you are identifying yourself with them. Jesus was identified with the sinners because he shared a meal with them. As I stated, I'm a youth worker, and one of the young men I worked with was exceptionally volatile. We were out once for a meal in Liffey Valley Shopping Center. He took a bad phone call from his uh, mother, and in response, he flipped the table, flung it, and then stormed off. And I was absolutely mortified in the middle of this restaurant. All eyes were on me, because he stormed off. And my immediate thought, I'll never forget it, was... (laughs) How do I communicate to everyone that this is not my child? How do I communicate that I am not the problem? I'm, I'm part of the solution. How do I communicate I am not responsible directly for this child? You know, could I run around everyone with a business card to kind of be like, I'm staff, I'm staff? Because it's so mortifying because the reality is I was identified with that child. We were having a meal together, and I could tell everyone looking at us identified and brought us together because you're comfortable sharing a meal with someone. The association is that you are that child's father or whatever it was. And I was mortified. And I remember, yeah, so vividly trying to go, ah, how can I communicate that this wasn't my fault? But I couldn't. I had to run after him. So when you share a meal with someone, you are identified with that person. This child that I'm talking about uh, and I had a very strong uh, relationship. And this relationship was forged through meals. My first meal, I remember, with him was at O'Brien's Sandwich Shop in Dundrop Shopping Center. I was two weeks into my new job. I got a phone call from the social work department telling me, can I come to the, the, the offices? The child has just been suspended from school for throwing a hammer at another pupil. <laughs> like I say, he's very volatile. I picked him up. Um, I took him to Dundrum Shopping Center. We played rainforest golf. And then we had our first meal in O'Brien's. This was the start of our relationship. Another meal was in Causey Farm in County Mead, and it was a picnic. So we run a summer program, and the highlight of our summer program is going to Causey Farm uh, out in Mead, and it's everything you could imagine about a farm. You um, get to see sheepdog puppies. You get to try and round up the sheep, and then you have the sheepdog round them up in about two seconds flat. You get to bake in an old kitchen, and the highlight of it and the crescendo of the whole day is you get to jump in the bog, and it's unbelievable fun. So this kid was on this trip. Earlier that morning, I'd been informed by social workers that his mother had attempted suicide, was in hospital, and that he would need to have an emergency overnight with ourselves. And I remember being told this, and they said, wait to the end of the day and tell him. And he was so happy at this picnic. And I've never, and it was such a nice thing to see his joy, to see his happiness. And I remember eating that picnic with them this meal together, and I had to protect his innocence. I had to let him enjoy the day, to be a kid. And then about 5 p.m. when we dropped off all the other kids, and I kind of said, you're not going home tonight. You have to come with us. That was another meal where I shared with that child. A third meal, which was in McDonald's in Swords, after I picked him up from an emergency foster placement, his face was bruised and battered after being hit by his mom. This was another meal that strengthened our relationship. And it was unusual because it was a meal in silence. There was nothing I could say. 
There was nothing he wanted to say. Finally, in October last year, there was a situation, like I said, this child was very volatile, where the child got a knife and went to stab his social worker. I was there, I was present, and I was able to stop him to protect him from making a terrible decision. This relationship, this moment had always built and always been forged in the meals that we shared, in the times that we spent together. He trusted me. He knew me. And I was able to use my relationship in that culmination of that moment to protect him, to use that relationship that had been forged in the meals to speak and for him to listen and for him to put down the knife. And, you know, so when I'm looking back at the importance of meals, I just, you know, was struck by this when I look at all the difference and all the, the way those meals connected. Now, this is all in a professional context, but it demonstrates the glorious opportunities meals present us. They allowed me to enter into his world of violence, chaos, and hurt and hurt. But they also enabled me to bring into his world care, love, encouragement, protection, trust. Meals present us with a glorious opportunity to reach those for this upside-down kingdom of God, to enter into the chaos and the mess of the lives of the people around us, to identify and be identified with those the world rejects, to stop vying for our own status or popularity, just like the Pharisees were, and instead share a meal to listen, to laugh, to cry, and to get to know someone who may be the complete opposite of us. As Christians, as party guests, we also have a responsibility to be party hosts. God's banquet is not yet full. The banquet we are hosting next week is a wonderful opportunity, as Steve has said, to share a meal to identify yourself with someone who the world has rejected. As Tim Chester, who we've based this series on in his book, A Meal with Jesus, puts it so succinctly, and I'll finish up with this, the gospel message is what saves people, but meals enable those conversations to flow. I would encourage you to make the banquet next week, prioritize it, get involved, any of those roles, whatever it is, sit here and chat. And I would encourage you, to share meals with those who have not yet accepted God's invitation to his banquet. The banquet is not yet full. There is still room. Great. Why don't I pray and Corey can come back. Let's take a moment and uh, wait if you're comfortable. Why don't you stand with me and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll just pray together and then we'll sing to finish. Tim had four points. The meal is full of surprises. You have to accept the invite. I wonder if any of you need to just either re-accept or accept for the first time. Heritage is not enough. There's a personal response needed to Jesus' invitation. I wonder what useless excuses you might be giving as to why you can't enter in. And uh, take a moment there. I wonder if it's that it's messy and you don't like it when it's messy. You prefer when people are like you rather than not like you. And the, the banquet is full of people. The kingdom of God is full of people who are different. But it's glorious because of that. Well, it's not yet full. And there's a call to go out and be party guests and party hosts. Just take a moment. Which of those four points... We thank you, Lord, for this banquet, for the kingdom of God. 
Thank you, Lord, that each of us is invited. And it's personal. You extend a personal invite to us. Lord, we say sorry for our excuses to enter in, to embrace, to be fully present, to come at all. We also say sorry that we so often, Lord, want to avoid the mess of it, the different people, those that think differently, speak differently, act differently. Keep us from becoming cliquey. Keep us from being those that just hang out with those that are like us. Help us to find glory in the mess. Lord, we want to receive the challenge of this parable to go out. Not just for next week, but for next week, but generally to be those that are outward focused, inviting people to a banquet, inviting people to know you and to spend eternity with you. So Lord, impress these things on our hearts. And uh, as we sing now and finish, Lord, uh, yeah, make them deeply impressed on us that we might live differently as a result of today. Amen.